Wow. I've heard worse. <laughs> Chuck and I have had this thing going for a long time that when he really has us going and the spirit moving and the worship is great, that's what I say to him. I've heard worse. Last week after my sermon, he told me, you didn't stink. <laughs> now that's high praise. See, you may not understand that, but that's very high praise. Uh, I haven't preached two times in a row in Shiloh in a long time. This is strange for me. I, I, I don't know what it may be like for you, but I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're willing to listen. I have something that I believe the Lord has put on my heart. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what any preacher is supposed to do. So I hope you'll hope you'll listen. I want to start in Matthew 23. Follow along with this scripture, if you will. You, you remember this. This is really the, the chapter where the Lord unloads on the Pharisees. But I want you to pay particular attention to this first part. Listen to what he's saying. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all they tell you to do and observe, do, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay, on, lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments, and they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called by men, Rabbi. But do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers." And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, I told you last week after we talked about grace, and I hope you remember something of what we talked about last week, that would be good, but... I told you this is going to be a sequel, and it's not going to be apparent how for just a little bit, so I want you to stay with me. Now, from this text, let me make an observation, and it's one that you know. In almost every religion or some kind of a spiritual setting, there is recognition and acceptance that certain individuals in that group were more holy than others. That, that's kind of worldwide, human-wide. Human there are certain spiritually superior people to the mainstream. There were certain ones who, who were above, spiritually speaking, everyone else. You even see it in primitive societies. There's the, there's the witch doctor. There's the medicine man. There's the shaman. Later on, there's the priest, the prophet, the holy man. And these people are in a different class from the regular folks. They are up here. 
They're in a different spiritual realm than the normal people. These people were assumed to be, A, closer to God, more intimate with him than others. These, these people were on a different level. They knew God in a way that, that you normal, regular people can't know. And therefore, because they're there, they're above, they're beyond, they have obviously a greater knowledge and understanding than others. See, these people know things that you don't, that you can't know because of their extra relationship, their extra holiness, their extra spirituality, their, their more intimate relationship with God, then they know things that you can't know, that the normal average person can't know. And likewise, they're often assumed to be people with therefore special powers. They can do some things that you can't do. They have a relationship with the deity, with God, that you can't have. Therefore, they have knowledge, special knowledge, that you can't have. And therefore, they have special powers to do things that you can't do. We're talking of a, a, a different class of people spiritually that are above and beyond, and then there's the regular folks. Do you know what that's called? That's the clergy laity concept. And we see that, we know that, it's, it's common. There's, there's a clergy set that have a more intimate relationship with God, have special knowledge, and have the power to do special things that the average regular laity cannot do, right? Whole churches are built on that concept. We have the clergy, we have the laity. They're above us. They know more, they can do more, they have the right to do certain things that we don't have the right to do. They have the power to do things that we don't have the right to do. Notice what Jesus said to the Pharisees. It was a clergy laity thing. They dress differently, don't they? They look different, so they dress differently. They are called by certain special titles. In this one, he said, Rabbi, Father, Monsignor, my Lord, whatever it might be. Jesus said, don't do that. We'll get to that, though, in just a minute. They looked differently. They were, wanted to be treated with special respect. Remember what he said? They want those special places at the banquets. Because why? Well, because we're special. We're better than other people. We're above other people. We want to be treated on a different scale than other people. Clergy, laity. They dressed differently. They, they had longer tassels and, and, and phylacteries were bigger and all that. That set them apart. They were a different group, a different class of people, spiritually speaking. They were better. They were higher. They were wiser. They were more holy. And naturally then, 
we were dependent on them to hand down the word to us. Here's what you ought to be doing. And Jesus said that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Since these people are better, they're more holy, they're more spiritual, uh, we, we have to grant them the authority to tell us what we need to be doing. They will define our lives, what's right, what's wrong, why they have that authority. They're, they're higher than us. They're in a class different from us. And today, many, if not most, religious bodies are built on that concept with the clergy laity. They're organized along that line. Some churches uh, even have a hierarchy within them. There's, there's some people that are above the, the laity, and then there's some people above them, and then there's some people above them. And so, who's at the top here? Well, he's called the Papa, or the Father, or the Pope, or the President, or maybe it's a council, it may not be one person, it may be a council of a group of people who are, but they are, see, they are so much closer to God, they are, they're holier, they're more righteous, they know more, they understand better than you can ever, so let the word come down. Let God speak to them, and then they pass it on down. And so they will define what the religious group what the faith of our people will be. Here's what we will believe. Here's what we'll teach. Here's what we'll do. Here's what our values will be. And, and it's legitimate to ask, what does your church believe about? And you can come up with any moral or spiritual or sometimes political issue. And that church has, here's what Here's what's been given down from on high. Here's what we all believe and, and conform to because they know. They know, and we don't know until they tell us because they are more spiritual. They're higher. They have different relationships see, that we can't attain. Clergy laity. That's the concept. It's all through our society. But what if, what if Jesus should come along and absolutely shatter that whole idea, tear it to pieces, kick it down, say, that's not how it works? Have you watched The, uh, the Chosen? Been able to watch that about the life of Jesus? I love that. Isn't that great? I love the way it portrays Jesus. One of the most poignant statements, and there's a lot of them that he makes, uh, and, and while it's not totally within Scripture, it fits. It fits with the ideas of the Scripture. But one of the things that Jesus says, as his apostles are following him, they, they're saying, "But shouldn't we do this or go this way?" Or, and, and he said, "No, we're going to do this." And they said, "Well, that sure is different." And he says. Get used to different. Oh, I love that. You see, we have so many things that, well, here's the way, here's the way 
we're thinking, here's the way it ought to be. Well, everybody knows, and along comes Jesus and says, get used to different. And what he's doing right here in Matthew 23 is taking the idea of the clergy laity that there are certain people who are set apart, that are above and beyond. They look different. They talk different. They should be called by different names above, see, and beyond us. And, and they should be treated different, given special honor. They should be called reverend. And he says, no. You have one teacher. You have one rabbi. You have one father. And you are all brothers, servants of the same one. He just leveled the playing field. There's not anybody up there except Jesus himself. There's no one above us except God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit themselves. No one. Now let's talk about the implications of that. First of all, let me go to you with, uh, with you to Hebrews. I want to I want to make a real point here. Um, Hebrews 10, 19. He's talking about this new covenant. Something new has happened. It's not like it used to be, folks. Get used to different. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water we have boldness we have confidence you hear that to enter we're into the presence of God himself. We do. Every one of us. Peter writes over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 9. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, let me ask, some, ask you some questions, and you need to answer these. Number one, is anyone invited to be closer to God than you are? Does anyone have more access to the Father than you? Anyone able to know Jesus better than you? Does anyone have access to any truth, any knowledge, or understanding that you cannot have. It's one of the reasons I hated that movie, The Da Vinci Code. 
It's like they were studying the scriptures and, and all this because there's a secret code that only certain people could figure out and, and could know. And, and I hate that. Now, I'm not saying that you have the same knowledge as this person over here. He may be, have been studying. He may have had opportunities. He may have grown up in a place. See, there's all kinds of things. But nobody has any knowledge that you can't have. There is nothing beyond what you're able to have. You can have it if you want it. It's out there for you. You can have the blessing from it. Any truth, any knowledge, any understanding that you do not have. No. No access that you do not have. No understanding or wisdom that you do not have. Do you need anyone else to offer sacrifices to God for you? No. Not since Jesus has made the ultimate sacrifice and made you a priest. It says, let us come with boldness to offer sacrifices to our God. You don't need someone to do that for you. There is no clergy laity. You, you understand what I'm saying here? It's important. It's very vital that we get this. Well, somebody says, well, then why do we have elders, preachers, teachers, deacons? To serve, to help, to share, to encourage, to challenge, not to lord it over you, not to command you, to bless, to help, to encourage, certainly. To help you, uh, teachers can help you learn more, to help guide your learning, and uh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. But not to command you, not to lord it over you, not to hand down from on high. So, let's talk about the implications. <clears throat> Who decides what my Christian walk is to look like. Who's going to tell me? Who decides what my stance on various issues that come up, issues in, in society, issues in our culture, issues religious, issues spiritual, who's going to decide what my stance is? Who's going to decide what my life of honoring Christ is going to look like? You are going to decide that. That's between you and Jesus on an individual level, personally, between you and him. We talk about, and, and I talked last week about us back in the day when I was growing up. And in many ways, it wasn't very flattering. Don't misunderstand. There were a lot of positive things about it. But it wasn't very flattering when it came to the concept of grace. We, didn't, we, we weren't good with that. We didn't have that. We had a lot of laws. We had a lot of rules. And it was important that we follow the rules exactly. And it, but we'd be right because... The rules were what it was all about. I might also say we didn't understand very well, and maybe I'm just talking for me, okay? Maybe it's just me. 
but I think I, I know what I saw around me. And it wasn't based on a personal relationship with Jesus. People talked about that, and I, folks, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't understand what it meant. But our faith is based, focused on a man, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came for us, who died for us. That's why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper at a time of solemn yet joyous memorial. Look what God has done for his people. That's what that celebration is about. Jesus died for me. The cross was all about grace and love and forgiveness and mercy for me. And this is between me and Jesus. Now, you know, the Lord had no trouble being specific when he wanted to be. I mean, if he expected, if he said, here's something you've got to do, like repentance, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I mean, you know, anybody got trouble with that? Understanding that? Repentance, right? Make disciples and baptize them. You know, that's specific, isn't it? Pretty specific. You know, that's settled. When Jesus is specific about something, he's already, he's already spoken. It's our job just to obey, get it done, right? But what about when it isn't so specific? What if it's a principle that has to, I have to learn how to apply? And you know, I'm, I'm, I tried to make a guess on this. I think 75% of the teachings of Jesus, at least that, are generic. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's a principle. I want you to put God first, the kingdom first. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. What, is that, what should that look like? I know in the specifics, but how do I apply that to everyday life and the situations that come at me and the hardships? Wouldn't it be great to have somebody say, hey, you decide, you're more holy, you're more righteous, you got a closer contact with God, you decide and pass the word down and then we'll know. You know, he's not going to do that. He said, this between me and you. I want you to love me, and I want you to know me. I want you to know what I value. I want you to know what I love, and I want you to love it. I want you to know what I value, and I want you to value it. I want you to understand why I'm here, and I want you to be here for the same reason. I want you to look at people the way I look at people and treat them the same way. I want you to love me so much that when these issues come up, you'll know how to deal with them. That's what he's saying to us. Each one of us, individually, they have to be applied. They have to be worked out. That's why the scripture, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Your responsibility. 
Now, okay, here comes the kicker. You wonder, how's this got to do with grace? I'm getting there. Here's the kicker. You only get to decide for you. Don't you be deciding for me. You don't get to do that. See, we don't have any clergy. No clergy, no laity. Personal responsibility, but for you. You want me to get specific? You want me to get down and, do you? <laughs> We've had a lot of issues. You know, we do. Some of them we create. Some of them just come. Let, let me start off with, a, with an easy one, a silly one, okay? Back in the early 70s, women started wearing pants. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And some of them even wore them to church. Brethren, that became, I know, you're going to laugh. That became an issue in the brotherhood. There was a, a church in Mesquite where the elders stood up and say, there will be no women wearing no pants in our church. Don't you come that way. Mm, Got to be careful about stuff like that. You're going to have to eat that later on. And so there was, there was, it was an issue. I had one dear, sweet, young sister come to me and say, I see the truth of this. I see the way it ought to be. I understand it clearer than everybody, everybody else is, it doesn't get it. I get it. I feel an obligation to go tell all of them. And I said, oh, darling, no, 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 no. That's not your job. You decide that for you. Just for you. And do what you think. Now, if anybody asks you, you can tell them. But don't go handing it down like some edict. And, and you, know, you know, look around you and you see what happened on, in, on that ground. It, it's not an issue. We made it an issue at the time. We do a lot of stuff like that. When, when worship began to change, I don't know whether you're even aware of it, it became a worship revolution. We, we stopped singing the old, old hymns in the same old way, and we started singing new hymns of praise, and some people wanted to clap. That became an issue. Don't want no clapping in here. No, you can't say that. That is for you to decide. That's between you and your Lord. Well, but I don't like it, and I don't want, then, then, then don't do it. Don't do it by any means. But don't try to dictate to your brothers what they've got to do. We have no clergy laity. I'm going to try to serve Jesus, my Lord, the best I know how. And it may not look like yours. I may make some decisions that don't look like yours. And here's where grace comes in. All right? told you this sermon's really about grace. I need some grace from you. Why? Because I, I may not do everything. I said I may not. Let's, let's change that. I won't do everything the way you think I should. Say everything the way you think I should. Preach everything the way you think I should. I won't. 
but I guarantee you this, it's going to be from my heart, so I need some grace from you. You need some grace from me. We all need grace from each other. Over in Romans 14, that's why that's there. Paul got to Romans 14, and he talked about, remember the context, he said, some of you will decide, and he uses an illustration, that there are certain foods you shouldn't eat. In this case, he uses meat. Others say, no, I can eat everything. Others say, no, I, I, I can't eat meat. One man says, I keep a day unto the Lord. It was a special religious day that he kept unto the Lord. Another one said, no, every day is alike. Listen to what he says. I'm going to pick out about four verses. Listen to him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Who am I answerable to? God. Who do I need to please? God. Does that mean I'll always please you? No. So then each one of us shall give account of ourselves to God. He's saying... I don't care whether that man eats meat or doesn't eat meat. I like the fact that he made a decision based on what he feels in his heart will honor me. I don't care whether that man keeps a day or not. The Lord's saying that. Can I bring this further? I don't care whether he claps or not. I don't care whether he raises his hands or not. I don't care whether he, how far do you want me to take this? You know, it used to be, if you remember the Church of Christ, you do not dance. That had been handed down from on high somewhere. I'm not sure where, but it was there. Uh, you don't dance. We don't, we don't dance. As a matter of fact, we've, <laughs> we tease each other about we've, We've not danced in so many generations. All the dancing genes have been bred out of us. We don't know how. We really, most of us don't know how anymore. Uh, who, who, who decided that? And who decided that for us? You can't say the Church of Christ doesn't believe in that. You can't say that about anything. See, that's, that's between you and your Lord. And if I want to have a square dance at my house, that's between me and my Lord. I think, you know, you may be invited or not. You may decide, you may decide to come or not. But that's all right. You may say, well, I'll never dance because, I, you know, I grew up thinking, fine. That's between you and your Lord. See where the grace comes in? We who have received the grace are expected, we are mandated to give it. And one of the things that we didn't grow up with when I was a child was very much grace that we gave to others. We tended to be very judgmental and very condemning and very demanding. There wasn't a lot of grace. But 
There, needs, there should be more grace right here than there is anywhere else in the world. Right here. More love right here. More my encouraging you. You need to do what Jesus says and follow him to the best of your ability. Wherever that takes you. Well, what if it's wrong? That's between you and the Lord. Can we talk about this? Can we study these things together? Can we encourage? Can we bless? Can we share? Yes. But nobody gets to hand down. Now, this puts tremendous responsibility on you, doesn't it? You see, so we would really like for there to be somebody up there to tell us. That takes responsibility off me. We can say, no, my church believes this. You can't say that. You've got to decide it on your own, prayerfully, studiously, godly, full of grace and love. Now you decide that. Oh, brethren, we have a tremendous responsibility to be people who know and love Jesus so much. You tell me, you tell me about the Jesus that you know and love. You tell me what he's like. And I can tell you what your life will look like. My Jesus is full of love and grace. And incidentally, he claps. Yes, he does. You might say, no, he doesn't. Yes, he does. You might say, well, mine doesn't. Okay, that's up to you. That's up to you. You see what I'm saying, though? Grace. Oh, we who have received. Jesus told that story. The king had a servant that owed an impossible debt. You know, that's us. What's the impossible debt? Our sins. He begged, he pleaded, the king forgave. Forgave, it's forgiven, it's gone. He went out immediately and found his brother who owed him a small amount. He begged, he pleaded, no, put him in prison. And the king heard about that. You who have received so much, you must give so much. How much love have you received? How much grace have you received? How much mercy have you received? So some people use that wrongly. Oh, sure they will. Always have. That's between them and the Lord, isn't it? They may fool us, but we're not fooling him. I want to honor, please, glorify, serve him. Amen? Amen. That's what we're for. Lord Jesus, our King, we praise you. We thank you. Oh, what you have done for us is beyond comprehension and measure. So fill us, your people, weak and feeble, sinful as we are. Fill us with love and grace and teach us to walk with you and to be a light in the darkness to all those around us. This we beseech as your children, Lord Jesus, our King. Amen. Let's stand and sing.